to Students of Life Radio Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. In any event, thank you, Aiden, for joining me today. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So if you want to just introduce yourself uh, a little bit about um, who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, my name's Aiden. I am, grew up on Long Island. I started an impact-driven clothing brand with my brother and friends. Um, and we, it started off with artwork that I've drawn over the years and um, a flagship mission to restore the bays with oysters. Uh, to help filter the bay water, restore the natural oyster reef. And so we began by printing shirts in our garage. Um, every shirt that we sold, we were uh, donating proceeds to plant five oysters back into the bay. And that was about seven years ago now. And since then, every shirt we've sold has done so. And we've only really gotten more involved with the oyster planting mission. And uh, we were joined by two friends, uh, Casey and Jack, along the way. And uh, since then, it's just been having fun and giving back to the environment as much as we can uh, locally. And yeah, it's a bit of an introduction. I'm sure we dive a little deeper as we go. But. That's that's the perfect prompt for like 9,000 more questions I want to ask, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> already hearing all of that, I, I, I've already learned a lot that I didn't already know. First of all, uh, I know some of that, but yeah, that is sort of why, and again, thank you for coming on because I wanted to hear more about this story, you know, how this sort of all generated in the sense of, well, you know, how do you go from just uh, a concept or an idea maybe to this, you know, whole thing where now I was actually wearing my relic t-shirt the other day and whenever I wear it, it's by far my most commented on t-shirt. So it's like, it's a whole thing now, like people recognize it. And people, so did you design the t-shirts yourself? I do. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. Um, Yeah, it's all artwork that I started drawing um, in high school and have kind of continued working on since. Uh, I like to think my designs have gotten better. But some of the earliest ones that we've uh, that I made are still the ones that people really gravitate towards. So I think that's kind of cool. and I have heard other people say that about kind of getting comments on the shirts. And I think, I, I don't know, I, I don't think we were like intentionally trying to make something different, but I think that the style we sort of began with kind of caught people's eye. And I think uh, that's helped us sort of start off. But um, in terms of going from design to uh, concept to shirt, I feel like family played a big role in that for me and sort of pushing me to kind of put my work out there. And it wasn't even my idea to put my artwork onto t-shirts. It was my mom and brother and they were kind of like, I feel like people would enjoy these and you got something here. So why don't you try? And instead of, uh, I actually went to a screen printer at first and sort of got laughed at for kind of bringing a clothing line idea into a space that's just looking to print soccer jerseys. But um so that, that's the up... that's the fashion equivalent of like writers when we go to somebody and they're like we don't publish that type of work <laughs> so i i'm familiar <laughs> with that <laughs> that effect maybe yeah definitely and so i don't know that that sort of forced me to turn inward and kind of got the creativity going and i'm grateful for that because we ended up doing the printing ourselves to start um and that allowed us to develop a really close relationship with the product that we were making you know 
both in the sense that I'm feeling every shirt that I create and like putting my own labor into it. Um, and also being able to quality control things the way that you want to see it done, which is still a struggle, uh, in the apparel industry, I think. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of closeness that we had, I think kind of helped push forward going from just artwork to t-shirt to then my brother bringing the idea of planting oysters back for each shirt and kind of tying it together. Cause all of my, uh, designs were really Marine inspired. And I think, um, just kind of trying to build a brand is building more than just one end. You need sort of all the spokes on, on the, I guess the wheel to, um, I think have a brand concept in today's day, especially when the startup to, ha- to kind of create a brand is, is pretty easy these days. You know, you can get an online store pretty fast. You can do all these things pretty quickly. So I think to really differentiate yourself, you have to have all those spokes, which is, you know, an, a strong impact mission, a, sort of a movement that you're trying to project. I think the designs have to be good. The garments themselves have to be inherently good. And then you have to work your ass off. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's so much of that. It reminds me of the writing process, which is not too surprising in the sense that it is, you know, a creative endeavor um, inherently. And it's one of passion as well, but also, you know, sort of that impetus for creativity. Um so that's interesting to hear sort of like I feel a, a parallel there and I feel sort of guilty because I'm not wearing my relic shirt right now, but that's only that's because I wear it all the time. So it's really the first piece of clothing in my roster when I do laundry. It's right back in the laundry because I wear it and mine is actually I was like, oh, maybe I'll take it out of the laundry and just wear it for this episode. But it's so dirty. <laughs> it's also my dirtiest shirt because I have it on when I go out beach cleaning i think i wore it on a fishing trip or something recently yeah because the guy yeah yeah (laughs) and one of the guys on the boat was like oh my god that's relic i i know them and so it's really cool yeah yeah and we were talking about you guys and it's crazy to me how that shirt just even the design um people as i was saying earlier they comment on it whether they recognize it as relic or they just like the design so you're definitely hitting it out of the park from that perspective because I have some other shirts that like, yeah, sometimes I get a comment, but that's the one. And it, I, this is not a plug. It's a super comfortable <laughs> shirt. Like I can't, I don't know why I haven't gotten more shirts yet, but I can't wait to get more shirts. Um, maybe at the next event. Um, yeah, definitely. I'll definitely. Yeah. Oh, crap. I'm getting a call and it cut out my audio. Um, that's all right. I can edit around all this. <laughs> I'm great to hear that. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. But, um, that's super cool. I think, sometimes it feels a little isolating like when you don't i mean i get feedback from from folks and but hearing it and uh like knowing that other people are having that experience it means a lot because it's so hard to kind of judge how things are going and i think like starting off doing something like this i always thought there was going to be this kind of like moment where i was going to get some sort of big like breakthrough in terms of progressing forward and i've come to realize that i think it's just a bunch of small little pluses and you just have to keep putting time in and as long as you know your function has a positive slope i think as time progresses you're going to get closer and closer to where you want to go it's just a constant um effort you know to to improve and just focus inward on how you can be better and the team can be better and the product you make can be better and all those kinds of things Mm. yeah that's so interesting to hear again because this is all stuff that writers like myself talk about with each other and this is something that I talk about with my students in terms of other endeavors that they're doing. So it's almost there's a lot of 
like universal struggles and challenges that it's really interesting to hear um, how they apply in, you know, this particular way, this particular manifestation. And I was curious, though, from the perspective of where you started, you said you started doing uh, designs or, or drawing in high school. Was it always marine environmentally based then or was it a lot of things going on and then you transitioned more into that obviously you know for for the type of stuff you do now yeah it's a great question i think i was always sort of drawing things that were related to the ocean i think i'm lucky enough to have grown up so close to the ocean and at times being dragged against my will onto the boat and kind of forced out onto the water so uh, <laughs> welcome to I, long island life <laughs> yeah, i came to appreciate it a lot more as i got mm. older but um and i think that that just kind of rubbed off on me i think that you just every time you go on the water you don't know what you're gonna see and i think the possibility of what today might be um, and not knowing when you first get out there is kind of just super exciting and i think that parallels the creativity of when you open up a blank piece of paper and start drawing like I think the best designs I've made are ones that just kind of come out of my head more randomly than if I have this like preconceived idea of like, this is what I want to make. And then mm. those are the ones that I struggle with and kind of have to keep going back to <laughs> over the years because I'm like, I still haven't finished it, but it's like the strong idea from the start rather than something that kind of spontaneously comes together. And um, I think it's cool. It's interesting to like hear the parallel to writing because I don't do that much writing outside of sort of marketing writing and sales um writing but um i think it parallels music really well and all kinds of creative processes where i think that there's a lot of magic and the spontaneity of just doing something improv and kind of the first take just having energy that like you can't really redo the same way mm -hmm. once you start sort of focusing on trying to like make it perfect things kind of get less like artistic in a way and mm. um yeah i think the ocean is just so it could just throw anything at you at any moment. And I think that kind of randomness that it has just kind of parallels my creative process. And I think it kind of just always went back and forth there. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, because I do feel that sort of connection um, also in the sense that the ocean is so much more massive than really any other landmass when you think about it. Right. And so in some ways, it's not surprising that when you go out, either on it or, or to the beach or something there, it does feel as if it, it's always there's it's very vibrant right there's always something going on it it feels like and that's how i feel as if i mean i grew up as well always going to the beach loving the beach but how i got involved with beach cleaning and conservation work all that sort of stuff was just the fact that unfortunately this is also where you find all sorts of trash and garbage and you know these marine pollution issues that sort of thing and so there's this interesting parallel as well where it's like also going to the beach i find i'm always surprised even after years and years of beach cleaning of finding you know new stuff well how the hell did these light bulbs and batteries get to the beach and there's a lot behind that in terms of trying to figure out the mechanics or logistics of yeah why is all this trash you know ending up there is it you know, people littering it at the source? Is it runoff from other places? You know, like what exactly is the, the full narrative um, going on here maybe? And um, it's something that, you know, I tell people all the time, like I never really wanted to clean beaches. I love going to the beach. It's just that when you love something and you're uh, sort of around it all the time and you notice problems with it, 
you should, you should probably maybe do something about it, right? <laughs> and that was, you know, a, a originally or initially um, in finding out what you guys are all about and, you know, the types of work that you guys do. I thought that was uh, so interesting and so important, you know, from the perspective of not just, you know, somebody like me going out and, you know, trying to do different things. But I always talk about this in the work that I do, um, you know, different types of uh, advocacy or events or, you know, on social media that it is really all about getting different perspectives, you know, sharing different perspectives, people trying different new things, different, you know, innovations. And that's something that I've really loved about what you guys have been doing as well. Um, you've really taken a lot of ideas that maybe I had a sense of partially like, oh, yeah, it would be great if there were baskets where, or buckets where you could, you know, take at the beach and go clean up. And I saw the map recently of the relic baskets around Long Island. And it's like, I don't know, how many stations are there now? Uh, boy, we're in the mid 80s now. Um, That's wild. Just so much demand for it. Uh you know, we started with one in West Hampton Village back in 2019, I think. And that, so that's not, possibly. yeah, that's not long ago. No, and we yeah. really didn't reach out to many of the towns. Uh, they were really reaching out to us because I think, you know, we, I think, well, to back up a little bit and kind of give more context, I think, for the listeners, we started a program that we've been calling the Coastal Collaborative. And the reason we named it such is because, uh, the original idea was to kind of try to involve all the stakeholders in our beaches as part of a solution. And that was an idea I picked up out in school and kind of just thinking that if we want to build something that's going to be long lasting and not just a single basket station at the beach, like how do we make it, you know, more impactful for everybody and have everybody have a sense of buy-in and, uh, we felt the way to do that was to involve more groups. And so we sort of created this program idea where we provide baskets to the community. The community is sort of the workhorse group of the uh, sort of circle that, that we created, um, actually cleaning up the beaches and removing the trash. The municipalities, they allow us to do the program and they offload the trash and, and sort of, you know, handle the waste as they would usually do at the beaches and account for the extra stuff that's coming off that people are finding. And then we fund the program through local businesses. And I think choosing to not ask the towns and municipalities for an upfront cost was really important early on because it allowed us to kind of operate a little bit more on our own terms. And it also allowed for us to account for the continual expenses that the program has. So every year, you know, uh, pe people do steal baskets. Uh, these things are set up on the beach. So there's weathering that occurs and repairs that are needed. Um, but through the support of almost probably over 50 local businesses at this point, uh, we've been able to make this program happen. And so I think back to what you were saying about kind of feeling the need to do something about local problem that you're observing surrounding the ocean, that was exactly our inspiration for the whole brand was seeing the bay turn brown and kind of wanting to do something for a place that we grew up caring a lot about. And I've always been fascinated by the idea of how do I get more people to feel that same sense of satisfaction of cleaning a place or helping a place that they love and call local. And I don't call all 85 of these beach sites local to me, but they're local to somebody. And these stations have allowed those people to have a sense and opportunity to, you know, have that same feeling. And I think the um, 
creating that, you know, when there's a business down the road that sponsors a station out, out on the North Fork and local people see that that's supported in that way, it just kind of, I don't know, it completes a circle for me. And I feel like that's kind of what makes what we're doing different than just putting out uh, baskets or buckets on the beach. And it's that collective effort of trying to involve all these different groups and, um, and, and a problem that is greater than just one of our groups. You know, it's greater than all individuals. It's something that we have to come together to solve and work on. And um, what we're providing is just one tiny piece of the solution. And I think uh, it's been really motivating to see it kind of grow naturally as it has. Um, and yeah. Yeah, that's so great to hear as well from or in the sense that I was literally talking to somebody about this yesterday, how they asked me, oh, does doing this type of beach clean work or even uh, beach clean writing, because it winds up in a lot of my, you know, written works, um, does it actually feed your anxiety, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of always being exposed and, and focused on that sort of stuff? And I said, that's interesting because there's actually something I call cleaner's anxiety. And it's a term I entirely made up, but I think it's an important one. And it's one that I see oftentimes with, especially people who go out for their first speech clean, say, and they go out, they have a great time picking up all this stuff. But then the second time they go out or they go to that same beach a day later, sometimes or, or a week later, whenever it is, and it's just as trashed, if not more trashed. And they have this almost existential crisis of, oh, my God, what was the point? I can't possibly solve this. And so, yeah, it, it's about, I think, sort of making meaningful those local connections in the sense that, well, yeah, it's this sort of very specific instance within this larger problem that requires larger solutions. But it's the same as any. Uh, I, I, So to sort of console that, I make the comparison to any other sort of advocacy work. You know, if you were working in a soup kitchen or something like that, well, obviously you spending your Saturday at a soup kitchen isn't going to solve uh, food insecurity in America, right? That's a much larger problem that's going to take much larger solutions. However, to those individuals that you were helping, that you were supporting, that can save their life or that can make all the difference in the world for them. And it's the very same thing with a local beach cleanup. It's, you know, you're helping to um, enrich and protect your local environment while acknowledging the fact that, well, obviously, we need to continue with these broader, uh, more encompassing uh, solutions or, or, you know, goals long term, that sort of thing. So there is this, um, I think, very sort of transferable lesson in that sense. But it's just, it's a little sort of uh, harder, I think, sometimes for, for people to make that connection sometimes because it, it just the issue is a little bit more like a lot of people. They tell me, too, when they go beach cleaning for the first time, they say, I had no idea that this stuff was here. I've walked past this beach. And it's like once they start looking for it, they it's it's almost as if, you know, a, a, a curtain is lifted and they see stuff that they never. And I've noticed that, too. Uh, I, I think especially before I was cleaning beaches, I'm like, there's no way that these beaches didn't have trash before I started cleaning. them. <laughs> and you, you just sort of have that eye. It, it's something where I mean, that sort of makes sense. Yeah, you recognize it. And since you recognize it, you're going to see it other places where it actually exists. Right. Absolutely. And I I can't what you're saying i experience so often with folks as we're putting the stations in you know we're coming into a place that again that they feel local to that they've been to their entire lives and we're putting up a piece of property that they've never seen before and a lot of times it's met with you know a little bit of hostility in the sense of well what is this what are you guys doing there's no trash on this beach um and well, that's interesting that, yeah 
it's yeah a lot of times people say that and it's i know right away that if that's the statement you make it's just a lack of awareness that you haven't really gone on the beach and looked down because i almost always whenever i i hear that statement said i look down and within my immediate vision i can see pieces of plastic on the ground it's it's almost guaranteed mm-hmm. um and uh i think you know even if folks aren't not every person who goes to the beach is going to grab a basket and take it with them but if they're walking by that basket and those stations on the way in and out and that message of working together to keep our beaches clean is you know consciously or subconsciously perceived i think that it makes a difference in the actions that folks take while they're on the beach and possibly broadening their awareness to kind of um, think a little bit more about the trash while they're on the beach, you know, because it is sort of a symbol of an effort that's going on and that's being made by other conscious community members to keep this space clean for the long term. So I think that there's a lot of things that in doing this program, I learned that I didn't think were kind of implications of putting these stations up. I just thought, yeah, you know, some people will clean the beach and some people will seal baskets and some people will do this. But there's actually like a lot more like deeper kind of things going on that I think are helping the cause that I can't necessarily quantify, but that I definitely observe in sort of being a fly on the wall, kind of like fixing mm-hmm. the stations at different sites and seeing people using the baskets. And, you know, for instance, I saw, uh, I put a station up at Davis Park um, back closer to the 4th of July. And I saw like 30 minutes after we put it up, I see a basket uh, get taken and a younger um, a younger guy just pour like a pack of 12 beer cans right into the, uh, <laughs> right into the basket and then take it on the beach. And at first I had like a reaction of saying to myself, like, okay, like that's not what this is for. <laughs> but then I thought about it and was like, you know what? It's actually a great thing because those are the same beer cans that you find sometimes. And that's a good point. Gonna, yeah. That's a great point on the beach. You know, yeah. hopefully he throws his waste into the basket and takes it off the beach with him. So I think even managing waste while you're on the beach is something that the baskets can help with. Um, and that's something that I didn't think of at first. So it's one of the, it's, you know, I think a lot of things that as, as I get older, I realize you just can't really know until you start doing it. You know, there's so yeah. many unknown things that are, that are going to come your way and you have to just be ready to face unknown challenges as you do something new for the first time. And everybody's always saying to us, well, I hope the program works. I hope the program works. Mm. And, you know, we've been operating for three years strong. Um, even if a storm wiped every single station down, we're going to be out there putting them all back up in the next week or so that right. after that. So um, I know people are cleaning the beaches every day with these baskets. Um, I know that they're standing as a symbol of this ongoing effort. I know it's a great thing for kids to see and grow up seeing as a something that's on the beach. Um, and so it's it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean... You just reminded me of this story that I have no idea whether or not it's true, but it's about how after they did these nuclear um, bomb tests in the Pacific Islands or something, you know, decades ago, they tried to reintroduce monkeys to these islands to because, you know, like test monkeys to see like, well, could Mm -hmm. they survive in, you know, these environments that were affected by radiation or whatever. And the story that I heard was that um, the monkeys were doing pretty well, but they were getting sick because there was um, the coconut husks that they would eat were slightly radioactive and they were getting sick from handling the coconuts. But some of the monkeys figured out to uh, clean them in the river 
because they noticed that the monkeys must have noticed that the ones that fell into the river were not making them sick. And so at first, only a few monkeys would do it. And there would be like one monkey because they would observe them, uh, an extra monkey. And once they got to like a a critical mass of monkeys, they all switched over and started doing it. Again, I have no idea if that story is true. It doesn't sound true, but it's an interesting message from the sense of like, I feel that way about, you know, this type of stuff where it's it's important to destigmatize it sometimes. You know, I remember, you know, cleaning beaches, even when I started really doing it um, probably five, six years ago now. I don't even know how long ago it was now. I mean, I don't remember really seeing a lot on social media compared to today. Um, And now you see, you know, I mean, a lot of even accounts on social media that were more just nature focused shell collectors, uh, beachcombers of different sorts. They're also, you know, focused on, on this type of uh, work as well. And I, I think that is a big part of it also. I mean, I've had this experience so many times as well, whether it's, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll pretty much try to get away with beach cleaning anywhere. I'll go on private property. I'll go on construction sites. Uh, you know, I, 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 if there's trash, I'm going to go find it unless it's like yeah. a nature preserve for like birds or something. You know what I mean? Like a sensitive yeah. habitat I won't mm-hmm. go into, but pretty much anything else. I'm, I'm thinking it's fair game if I see trash and less and less. But I've had this in the past where people say, I remember one guy, he said, what are you doing? What are you picking up? Are you picking up shells? Because I think it was his house, his beach house or something. I said, no, I'm picking up trash. And he goes, trash? I'm like, yeah, I'm beach cleaning. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> he like totally 180. And same thing <laughs> with a park ranger. He was, he, I had a similar experience. He's like, are you collecting clams? Because I guess you weren't allowed to clam. I said, no trash. And he goes, oh, oh, really? And I feel like I get fewer of those reactions now. It's more so people are just, they just say, uh, it's almost as if they recognize what I'm doing. And they just wave mm-hmm. to me and say, thanks. Whereas years ago, it was a little less uh, ubiquitous, I think. So I, I, I think in that sense that, what you're doing and the proliferation of what you're doing. It's not surprising to me that you have 80 some odd baskets around, you know, Long Island, just this one region, but that's so great to see. And I think it, it again comes down to really proliferating that idea of, yes, this is something that is normalized that we should be doing. And as you said earlier, you mentioned as well, bringing up a younger generation. I did a beach clean, I think last summer, Uh, I think it was last summer with my friend's daughter's Girl Scout troop. And that was one of my favorite beach cleans of all time because, you know, they were all, I I think they might've been like 10, 11 at the time. And they were just so into it. They were so interested to learn more and really try to understand not just why we're doing what we're doing, but how and why this stuff is here, which Mm -hmm. is so cool to me that you can engage uh, very young people, you know, at that age and, and bring them up and, you know, they can go on and, you know, spread that awareness otherwise, which to me is such what social media should be about <laughs> ultimately is, you know, trying to um, share these ideas. I mean, I beach cleaned for probably a couple of years before I really even posted anything about it on social media. And I, I kind of got to the point where I, I was feeling this is you know, social media can be a, a bit of a dumpster fire sometimes. And I, I was like, let me post just, you know, useful stuff that I'm I'm doing maybe. And largely the reception's um, been good, I think. Um, but, you know, that's that's always a challenge, I feel like, with, with social media. But it's good to use it as an extension of, well, there's good stuff going on too in the world, right? Definitely. Yeah, you're talking, you talked a lot about an idea that I feel like is, it's changing the narrative 
to be not just using our spaces and not just going to the beach, but with the enjoyment of the space comes a shared responsibility to protect and conserve it. And I think Mm. having that shift of mentality where everybody has to do a little bit to keep this space to be what it was when we were kids, um, that, that's what's, that is the heart of what I feel like our brand is trying to do and trying to spread awareness about. And, um, I think, you know, the stations are just one extension of that. And I hope, you know, our goal is that the clothing comes to embody that same messaging. And, you know, you see somebody wearing a relic shirt. The idea that I would want to come to mind right away is just a shared awareness for these topics. And um, I think a lot of, we don't really talk often about it, but, you know, we're going all over Long Island and we're speaking to thousands of folks every season. And a lot of people aren't aware of these issues. A lot of people are. Um, and I think one of the biggest challenges that the ocean faces is that, again, that lack of awareness, because, you know, if we all had a sense of urgency and a sense of uh, just an idea of what's going on, I think that we would have a much, much better chance at preventing it from escalating in the way that it is. Mm. Um but I hope I hope that in time, you know, it's great to see that there's so much more, so many more people taking action, and that there's so many more people spreading awareness about these topics, and a lot of young folks want to get involved in it. I think it's amazing that um, that it's a topic that that's like cared about because we really put our biodiversity, faith, and everything else into uh, their hands. So. Um, yeah, but we've got the chance to speak at a few elementary schools now, and it's that's been really fun. Yeah, and, that's um, great. It's so it's so great to ask them questions. You know, where do plastics come from, and kind of just talk about single use plastics and what you know what can you do as an individual to help. And it's I don't know if you feel this way about this topic. This is a bit of a tangent, but. I feel like I'm always never good, like doing enough in what I can do for my individual habits in terms of being better for the ocean and for the mm-hmm. environment. And I've kind of come to just accept that as long as I'm making like a continual effort to be better, like I think that's okay, you know? Cause like, mm-hmm. and I think everybody can just always be making like that self improved effort to, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop using paper towels. I'm going to stop using this or that at the very least please stop using plastic water bottles <laughs> yeah right yeah. well it's funny that you say that because i've had that conversation with people before where they i know I, I don't know why there's all sorts of reasons or perspectives but i've had people say well you know you have to reuse a reusable water bottle however many hundreds or thousands of times for it to equal the amount of plastic production uh, some whatever statistic and i'm like well yeah i plan to <laughs> like, i plan to save that many <laughs> water bottles because i'm actually going to do it but i think you're exactly right that's a another quote that i've heard something along the lines of we don't need 10% of the people making 90% of the changes we need 90% of the people making 10% of the changes right and it comes back to that idea this sort of concept of well, you can always do more, but it is this balance, right? You're sort of in a in a difficult position, and it comes back to this idea of the the cleaner's anxiety of it all. Where, mm-hmm. well, yeah, what would be the most carbon neutral solution would probably be for me to build a, a treehouse in the woods and walk to school to teach there, 
but then I can't do any of this other stuff, right? I don't even know if that would necessarily be good for my mental, you know, well-being. Would it is that more of a sacrifice than a benefit ultimately? Yeah, it's like our society is sort of structured at this point, especially post-pandemic, uh around like plastics. It's literally mm-hmm. impossible to do yeah. anything without producing waste in specifically plastic waste. So unless you're cooking all your own meals, growing all your own food, choosing to ride your bike everywhere, you know, it's really, it's, I don't think, and I think that people get overwhelmed and self-defeated by that image of yeah, for what, sure. the only way to really help. And I think that instead of pushing so strongly for, you know, that like per- perfect image, it's okay to not be perfect as long as you're trying, you know, every day to be a little bit better than you were. You know, and, and the ways that like accommodate your lifestyle and still uh, allow you to, I mean, obviously we need to make drastic change like immediately to really stop uh, the climate trends that we're seeing. But yeah, ideally, um, yeah. And it's like pretty catastrophic. But the uh, at the very minimum, I think, you know, to avoid the self-defeated, well, what can I do and what difference can I really make in this problem that's so much greater than myself, which is how I often feel is just kind of this self-defeated, like, well, no matter what I do, there's still going to be, you know, all these other terrible polluting events occurring and these things. But I think it's just so toxic to think that way and to like allow that to cause you to take no action at all. Because if yeah. you know, if everybody thinks that way and nobody takes any sort of small actions, where are we going to end up? You yeah, know? it's it's the tragedy <laughs> of the commons uh, sort of <laughs> you know rule where it's the same thing. It's the same thing that you see in other sectors of of life. Well, why bother voting? One vote never counts. Uh, why exactly. why not flick my cigarette? But one cigarette but doesn't count. Said mm-hmm. however many billions of people this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it it is this. Uh, yeah, I think it's this identification of, well, you do have ownership and you do, your decisions still do matter, um, I, I think. And it's, there, there's, I, I see the arguments against it, but I think you're right. It That comes down more to, uh, that really doesn't sa- like sound or feel like a mental, emotionally healthy attitude to try to navigate your way through life with ultimately. Um, and and I, again, I think, you know, this is something where, making these connections in other ways has sort of shown me that, well, you know, some of it, it, it is a qualitative sort of process. You know, you mentioned the idea of like, uh, you know, quantification versus qualification. It's always a problem to me because it's like, well, doing this action or, or this project or something like that, it, it's not necessarily like, it doesn't even necessarily have tangible quantifiable outcomes in mind. Uh, I did a tennis ball beach clean one once a couple years ago you you saw that yeah and then it was exactly that where again i could have walked right past those tennis balls and said what's the difference you know uh, what difference is it going to make well you know i post a video about how i collected a hundred somebody shares that with somebody at wilson sporting goods all of a sudden i'm on the phone with wilson sporting goods about their tennis ball (laughs) recycling program and they're asking me, how many tennis balls do you think you can recycle? And I just, I said, a thousand. And they sent me these giant bins, recycle bins. And I, I got a thousand tennis balls from the ocean and talking to other people about how those actually um, were affecting, in, in their opinion, uh, I was talking to the, the town gardener um, 
And she was saying that, yeah, it's actually really detrimental to the dunes because it prevents um, biomass growth and that ultimately degrades the dunes because it's creating these dead pat. Like you just even just from the perspective of, OK, qual- uh, you know, qualification of ideas is, is still important. Like it's not necessarily just about the quantity, but knowing that, oh, there's other connections out there that I might not know about and I should be open to to learning more about. That's an important lesson, too, I feel as if it's kind of a challenge in teaching writing too, where the tangible outcome is not always necessarily clear, but sort of your point as a professor is to point out that, well, I'm helping you with the ability to make connections and to notice things and to be able to, you know, process and and sort of navigate different situations, different scenarios, different life experiences moving forward, which you don't always necessarily think about with the specific work that we're doing now, but talking to people, you can sort of see how that is the outcome ultimately just in different ways that that can sometimes be very difficult to predict, um, which I think is, you know, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's yeah, hard to it sort of hard. explain. Yeah. Sometimes people, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we, in a given day, probably talk to a few hundred people at some of these craft fair mm-hmm. events. And sometimes people walk up and just have such a fixed mentality on what they believe the world to be and yeah they just are completely not open to learning more and that i think that attitude is really like the biggest problem that we face um Mm. in so many ways because if you're not willing to accept for whatever lack of like ability to feel vulnerable or whatever it might be Mm. if you're not willing to accept that maybe the way that you view the world isn't like you know, maybe you have more to learn or maybe you don't know everything about a topic. Mm. Like, how could you possibly learn anything more? And like, you know, I I try to never approach things with like an absolute mentality that like, why would Mm. I think that I know everything about a subject, you know, and that nobody could teach me something like that's like, that's the such a just awful mentality in my opinion. And I hate to say that I see a lot of Long Islanders who have that. But on the flip side, I can't say that statement without saying that for at least Every person who comes in with that mentality, there's two or more people that come in with an, an open mind, uh, an awareness of issues that are going on, uh, and a general desire to see them um, find solutions. So I think it's tough. There's, there's a yeah. lot of diverse views in the world and a lot of yeah people with different backgrounds. But um, I think we could all do ourselves a favor and open ourselves up to just taking in more information about things. Yeah, it's that's a again a similar struggle with teaching where you are going to have some students who are more receptive of of others in terms of learning more and you know gaining or changing or challenging their perspectives. That's I think something that I like about doing beach clean work because it's applying what I do in the classroom but just in society with people that I would never otherwise have access to and it's kind of still pretty crazy to me when I do a I host a beach clean event and I'll have the gamut of, you know, different types of people, especially Long Islanders who show up from all the way left to pretty far right and everywhere in between. And I've had people in Hillary hats show up. I've had people in Trump hats show up. And, you know, my perspective is, okay, let's do something together and (laughs) see, see where we can, you know, move from there. And maybe I can, you know, share things that you hadn't considered before, right? Um, different perspectives that you hadn't learned um, or didn't know about. And same with with myself. Um, I was just curious, though, as well, your a- actual um, educational background. Did you study any of this type of work at school, in college, whether 
um, art and design or environmental type field stuff? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. The answer is, I guess, no. But uh, I uh, actually studied, I started off uh, doing pre-med for two years, thinking that I wanted to be uh, in medicine. And You're every... Every other one of my students as a Stony Brook professor, they all start out as pre-med. They don't all finish as pre-med, even no. even by the end of the semester. So that landed me, yeah, mm-hmm. and I, a biology, a soon-to-be biology degree with not really wanting to work in uh, that field. So I was kind of not sure what to do. And I realized, uh, I think engineering might be what I want to do, even though I was super intimidated by it. I didn't have the greatest, uh, experience in high school with a physics, um, instructor and it kind of just deterred me from the subject. Mm. And on a side note, I just can't under, I get, I can't say enough how much I think it's important and what an impact teachers can make in terms of driving students to gravitate towards subjects of interest. Because I think if you have a really good teacher in a subject, you kind of grow you, you you tend to like it just because of the experience that you're kind of having learning it. So mm-hmm. I think it's so important. But I had not such a great physics experience, but uh decided to try out engineering because my dad and grandfather are both engineers. And I uh, ended up finishing uh, a chemical engineering degree in two years. Uh, I took some summer classes at Stony Brook uh, to help me uh, kind of finish on time. And uh, I got a job. And then I went back and I did a, a one-year master's program that was sort of an entrepreneurship, engineering, hybrid, kind of like a diet MBA for engineers, sort of. Huh. That's um, interesting. It was really cool. I think hmm. I heard probably a hundred different entrepreneurs' background stories that were doing things in technology and uh, researchers kind of commercializing uh, findings and all that sort of thing. So that was really cool and definitely impactful although at times i was like and through this whole period i was working on my clothing brand kind of just selling shirts Mm -hmm. out of the dorm room and um yeah you know just (laughs) so at times i was sort of like uh, kind of dismissed what i was doing to an extent because i felt like it wasn't academic enough or wasn't Mm -hmm. kind of polished enough to be something that i committed myself to in a way um and then I graduated and I ended up taking up electrical and computer, electrical engineering and computer science. Uh, I worked for a family business uh, on Long Island. We wow. manufacture um, electronic devices. And so I've been doing that nine to five and then five to 11. I've been working on relic stuff, but I think I've kind of always struggled with this split between loving science and kind of absolute quantitative things and Mm. then loving getting lost in sort of abstract art stuff and just finding a balance between the two and i think uh the answer to me is still really unclear as to Mm. how to merge these brain interests but um yeah i think i just kind of tried to I've, i've realized that when i look back on what i choose to spend my time doing I think that like that's an important factor of consideration because whenever I ask myself, well, what do I want to do? It seems just like a blank piece of paper in front of mm. me. You know, I never am able to kind of put my finger on what my choice, uh, what I think my choices should be. But when I look back at how I choose to spend my time and the things that I keep putting time working on, I think it's helpful in recognizing patterns there and saying, you know what, I keep just dumping time into, into creating artwork and t-shirts and these things and 
that's uh, important to recognize and a reason I should keep doing it if I enjoy it. So, well, and again, as we were saying at the beginning, it's so good. I think you're going to be fine. <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to, you're going to figure it out. Unfortunately, you have the unfair disadvantage of the fact, well, I, I have the advantage, I guess, more so that I love science and that type of stuff, but I was never smart enough or good at, enough at math to do any of that. So I didn't have a choice but to <laughs> just go full into writing and, and in, in my case, uh, you know, teaching as, as well, which I, I do love. Um, but that's so interesting to hear because I, I do feel as if in society we get this um, sort of, I don't, uh, it's almost like a polarization where, well, there's science and humanities or, or science mm -hmm. and arts rather, um, hard sciences versus arts. And that's not really in reality, I think, how the brain necessarily works. There's lots of intelligences and they can overlap in different ways. And some of the most artistic students I've had have been also pre-med students. They have been biology students. They have been comp sci students. I, I used to teach a um, technical writing course in upper division one for computer science majors. And some of the works that they would do when we would come up with business proposals or user instructions we're so creative, more creative than, you know, maybe some of my regular humanity students. So um, I don't think those worlds are by any means mutually exclusive. Uh, yes. Definitely you know, not. Yeah. Maybe, you know, in, in a lot of cases you, you can just, you know, go in that direction. But um, I think it's important to acknowledge that that's certainly not a, a hard and fast rule by any stretch of the imagination. Um, no, it's definitely not. And I, I, I think that I never sort of, I never dove deep enough into research and into sort of the higher level sciences to the point where I could become creative with it in a way that I, mm. it was, you know, pencil and paper is so accessible and it was just so easy to kind of be creative in that fashion. And same thing with music. It's just easy to pick up a guitar or whatever, but it's not easy to be necessarily creative in a lab space without many years of dedicated study. Mm. And I think I didn't really put the time in to get to that point. So I didn't mean to dismiss that as a creative uh, outlook. It certainly is. And I think, you know, solving the future's problems are coming out of creativity in those spaces. It's oh, just, yeah. I think it takes, and I and thank you to all the people who are doing that because it definitely takes a, a dedication to become technically proficient enough to become creative on such a high level. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing yeah. what people are doing. And um, so, but, but I again, you, you, know, you can do lots of things creative, creatively. Like we're all doing different things that come together, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, with, oh, I guess, a lot of the listener base being students here, and um, you mentioned about the math. And I think for me with math, it's like super intimidating. And if I had to share <laughs> a, a small aside, like when I first, uh, did, in my freshman year at school, I tried to take a math course that was sort of the intro engineering course and I ended up dropping it because I was so intimidated by it and was sort of just afraid of failing and opening mm. myself up to the challenge that it was. Uh, and that, again, further put me towards wanting to do something not super math intensive, even though math is baked into so many things. Um, and I'm glad that I went back and gave it a second try a few years later and sort of doubled mm. down on it and was able to kind of overcome that because I think I would have uh, sold myself short on not giving it. So 
my, my point of what I'm saying is that if you're out there and you feel that math is challenging and intimidating, but you have an interest in the ultimate end subject, just ride with it and, mm. and try. Because I think, especially when the math is put into more concept in an application or something that is of interest, and it's not just, you know, a calculus textbook. Sure. Yeah. It's much more, uh, I think, achievable than you think. And I think so many people are deterred from doing something in the engineering and physics space by what it, you know, the initial math introductory courses and stuff like that. I just think it's obviously you have to have a proficiency there to do the work, but I think that understanding the concepts and they're usually so simple, like these basic concepts, these basic laws that kind of govern so many things um, that I think in like being a practical engineer and actually working like that's more kind of what i've experienced so far is just the application of much simpler principles mm. and it's not as like upfront math and right 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 <laughs> so, yeah yeah just stick with it is, is yeah <laughs> no that's that's great advice thank you um i actually have one last question i wanted to pick your brain on um which is if you could have one superpower what would it be and why Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> options. <laughs> Part of me wants to say to fall asleep uh, right away every night, but uh, the, oh, that's you know, interesting. Just... That's actually a really interesting <laughs> one. Yeah. No, but I think uh, a, b a better answer would be maybe to be able to just have the time to do all the things that I want mm. to do. <laughs> uh, that's and... actually that's actually my answer. Is it that's, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, to have like. 30 hours in a day instead of 24 <laughs> so i can yeah. do all the things i want to do creatively work-wise yeah i get that 100 percent. just yeah. being you know i don't know i feel like the older i've gotten the more i realize how few hours there are in a day and how little opportunity there is to really and, do and how fast it goes things. by yeah and it's just so there's so many things that i want to get to in a day that i just can't get to and the opportunity cost of your time is just so it's the most valuable thing in so many ways. And you really, you can't, I feel like, give that up for anything. You have to focus on doing what you really want to do and what you really enjoy because, um, you know, even something as, oh, I want to be more proficient in speaking Spanish. I want to mm. do these things. I want to travel. I want, there's just not enough time to like kind of accomplish everything you want, but you can, you can enjoy yourself and, and you can, you can try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, it, as soon as you said that, I was like, I was thinking that as I was asking the question, what my answer was. <laughs> so, and it's funny too, because I think like, yeah, when I was a kid, a day took five years. The days lasted forever. Whereas as an adult, it's five minutes all of a sudden, you know? Um, yeah, it's like school's it, out. Summer's endless, you know? <laughs> summer was like a year long. It was great. Yeah. It was awesome. Now summer, I, so we're almost in August. <laughs> what the hell? It just started, man. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten to clean nearly as many beaches as I want. <laughs> I know. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Aiden. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been great. Um, oh, thank I, you for having me. Yeah, I feel like we could uh, talk for I, even longer. You know? I, you know, I, I had, I had more questions, but I looked at the clock and I, I, I said, oh my, oh my goodness, we've gone <laughs> on already yeah. some time. Um, so yeah, if you want to just share, uh, where people can find you guys, Relic, where they can learn more about you, uh, any social sure. medias, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, our website is uh, a continual effort uh, to 
you know, it's a constant, um, it, it, it's a, it needs more work. It always needs more, mm-hmm. but our, uh, it's relic-design.com. Uh, if you go on there, you can read more about what we're working on and, and see some of our, uh, our clothing, which is also a work in progress. Um, and also our social media, which is relic underscore sustainability. Uh, and that's probably our most actively used, um, media platform. Um, we're always posting about cleanups and what we're working on. Um, just to give a quick synopsis of what's coming this summer, uh, we're, we're going to be at a bunch more, uh, craft fairs and trade shows around the island. And, uh, we have a schedule posted on our social media that you can find if you want to come and meet us in person and, and chat us up. We'd love to meet you and, uh, learn about what you're up to. And then in the fall, uh, last year, we decided to shift gears a little bit and do a garment give back mission instead of offering a big, uh, discount on our products. We thought, you know, there's sort of this toxic kind of commercialism around the holidays where everybody's trying to kind of undercut each other on how mm-hmm. cheap they can make something that really shouldn't be undervalued at all. And we thought maybe instead of giving that discount to the customer, we're going to give it to somebody who needs uh, warm garments during the winter. So we oh, decided wow. to do that. And for every sweatshirt we sold, we were donating two sweatshirts back uh, to homeless shelters. And uh, we also ran a bunch of clothing drives and we ended up collecting over a thousand uh, winter garments for um, homeless on Long Island and those in need. So I think we're going to double down on that mission and start even earlier this year and try to figure out ways to go from a thousand to three thousand garments um, because doubling the number is not enough. And uh, so I think at, at the end of the day, you know, we're just trying, just trying to give back to the community and in different ways and really engage the community because that's really what's the most satisfying thing for us to do. Mm. Um, and so that is the long winded answer to where you can find us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. I mean, it it's almost as if every idea I hear you guys implement is better than the last. I, I hear that and I'm like, that's amazing. That's such a great idea. That's that's awesome. So I'm really I'm really honestly glad to hear that. And I will be at your next beach clean event. I was so bummed I missed the last one because I was I think I, I, I commented know. or messaged you guys that I was I it was my my upstate camping trip for the summer. So it was the only time yeah. I, I wasn't gonna be here. Um, but I will we be at the next talk one. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will be at the next one because uh, I, I love the first one. I went to the, the other one, the one before in April. Um, yeah, where, that was fun. That's so much fun where you guys weigh all the trash and everything. So, um, and I brought yeah, some I friends think... out to that. They loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We, we've been having so much fun with the competition style. Um, I think it just kind of incentivizes people to compete against themselves in a way. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, funny enough, the person who ended up winning the last competition they cleaned up 446 pounds of trash uh, in three hours which is crazy Granted, yeah, there was a lot of metal and just crazy objects that were found that mm-hmm. were you know heavy in weight but and it's not yeah. just about the weight we all yeah. we all know that it's not just about yeah, the weight. you have we, to, there's we the fa- volume involved <laughs> yeah we found a we found a car battery which car batteries are really heavy because they have lead in them usually yeah and that was most our weight it was just that one car battery <laughs> And that's not understating the importance of all the microplastics yeah, and of course. cleaning those off the beach. But I think the weight just incentivizes people to keep going back out and finding more. And, yes, you know, it was, right. it's just great to get people fired up and sweaty and active over a cause that, you know, they, they didn't think they were going to, a lot of people show up to the competition. They don't think they're going to actually do that much trash picking up. And then they end up drenched in sweat just with <laughs> 300 pounds of trash yeah. in front of them. And it's super satisfying. So 
Yeah. Um, I think the next one we're going to do is going to be on the North Fork. I uh, don't don't have plans for it yet. Maybe maybe somewhere. I don't know. It's tough on the North Fork. I feel like the beaches are a little more spread out than some of the concentrated areas on the, on the South Shore. Yeah, there might be smaller spots, too. There, yeah. We'd love to find a, yeah. a business partner who could host us up and mm-hmm. um, just get it, you know, another dumpster and fill it up. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm on board. You just let me know. <laughs> yeah, I have absolutely. I have I have backup. I have extra trash pickers ready to go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we yeah. just got we just got some of those. They are so awesome. Yeah, they're great. Um, I I love my my nifty nabber as it is, as is actually the I guess the brand or something like that. But it works great. It's like That's the heavy awesome. duty one. <laughs> yeah, well, getting in the, the jetty with those and all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, you, could, you couldn't even get, and then it's so much. You're so much faster cleaning up trash with that. So, I oh, feel like with a basket in one hand and the trash picker in the other, I can. I'm ready to go to war. You know, that's that's the, yeah, that's the move. Yeah, you got your shield and sword ready to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, thank you again so much for for joining me. Um, thank you for having me. It's, it was a pleasure. Great conversation. Yeah, and thank you guys, listeners, whoever you are, wherever you are, for joining us. Uh, I think I speak for both of us saying we hope you learned a thing or two here. And if you like what you hear, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the major platforms. And feel free to drop us a comment on any of those platforms uh, or like us, share us, all that good stuff as well. Uh, Let us know what you think. And uh, we have new episodes the first Monday of every month. So subscribe and you'll get updates for that. And we, of course, would love to see you back next time so until then stay safe out there be well i'm gonna say and add clean well and as always (laughs) keep learning cheers guys thank you thank you